This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 78, with celebrity chef Rocco Despirito. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneur lifestyle to take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And today, I actually just got off the plane from a trip to Ghana with Pencils of Promise. We did a trip out there for with the advisory board, and I was photographing kids and the board members and really capturing more branding content for the organization. For those of you that have not heard of Pencils of Promise, they are a charity that builds schools for kids in the developing world. Not only are they building the school buildings, but they're also investing in the quality of education for the children. And it's really amazing to see what kinds of things they're bringing in, e-readers and doing programs with that, teaching kids the basics of how to wash their hands and so many of the basics that we all take for granted that we already know. What was really amazing was being a part of the celebrations for the groundbreakings and the school inaugurations and just seeing the gratitude and the gratefulness from the community members that Pencils of Promise is serving and helping to further the education. People are so grateful and so happy that we were there. You can check out some of the photos from the journey on my Instagram at Nick Onkin. So jumping into it, oddly enough, on my Delta flight coming back, I watched the documentary, The Sugar Film. Very fascinating and really leads into today's guest. The film was all about how sugar affects your body and how terrible it is for you, especially in the processed foods and how many foods that we think are good for us, but aren't. And that leads me to today's guest. He is a celebrity chef, a number one New York Times bestselling author with 12 titles now. He has seven or eight TV shows that he's been on. He takes on private clients. He's got his own protein powders and other products. I don't know how this guy sleeps because he's creating so many awesome things in this world. We do talk a lot about sugars and how they affect your body, just like I saw on the film. But he also gives a lot of alternatives and different things that you can eat in their place, which is what his new book, The Negative Calorie Diet, is all about. And we get to chat about that today in the episode. The book is largely on different types of foods that help you to lose weight while also being healthy for you in many different ways. So we get to learn about Rocco's story and how he came to become a chef and an author and a TV personality and all these different things. We learn how he defines his style in cooking. We learn why making the decision to get healthy is the hardest part and some tips on how to do that. We also learn about the challenge of changing your habits and quitting sugar as that is very hard to do, but the most healthy thing that you can do. I've been actually trying to do that a lot in my life. I haven't cut it all out, but I am working on it. And Rocco's tips are beginning to help. We also learned three tips from his new book that you can incorporate into your life right now. So guys, learning how to incorporate health and wellness and fitness into my life is something that's been important to me over the last few years. And I wanted to get Rocco on the show to shed a light into that so I can learn and also share that with you guys. So before we get into it, 
we are also going to give away two signed copies of the Negative Calorie Diet. And what I want you guys to do is find a photo of the book online and post it on your Instagram. Tag Rocco and I. Mine is at Nick Onkin and Rocco's is at Rocco Despirito, which you'll find linked up at the show notes at shoptalkradio.com slash EP78. So along with tagging us on Instagram, the other requirement is to tell us the biggest thing that you learned on the podcast. And I will send the first two people to meet those requirements a signed copy of his book, The Negative Calorie Diet. So with that, I bring to you the one, the only, Mr. Rocco Despirito. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the show. Today we have the celebrity chef, Mr. Rocco Despirito. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. You just turned on your broadcaster voice. I love it. Yeah, I gotta you go. Went, you went up. Gotta go radio here. <laughs> but it's also kind of cool to listen to yourself through these like headphones. It's like it's like no radio. Yeah, yeah, it does do something. <laughs> I love that. You know, today when you do radio, they don't ask you to wear headphones anymore. And I'm like, no, no, give me the headphones. I like that. I like that feeling. Oh man, I love the, I love yeah, that. It yeah. kind of puts you in the zone though too. Mm-hmm. So it's really great. Rocco is on his twelfth book now, which yes, is I'm amazing. A, I'm a serial writer. It's a, it's an addiction at this point. I. I they let anybody write a book these days. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, but you know, 12 books, that's, that's huge. And you, you've had seven, eight TV shows as well. So quite, try quite, to keep busy. <laughs> I'd say yeah. just a little bit. Well, I'd love to kind of start out and hear your background, how you got into TV, how you where your passion for cooking and, and creating has, it came from. Sure. Um, you know, I've always been creative. Um, and my, my passion happened after I got into the business. I got into the business for very practical reasons. Yeah. I was broke and I, you know, I was a kid living in Jamaica, <laughs> Queens and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of money falling from the sky in Jamaica, Queens. And, uh, and this is the seventies, right? So pretty much the worst time for Jamaica, Queens in history yeah, uh, and New York city in general. And I wanted to buy a record called love gun by kiss mm. And I was a huge Kiss fan. My mother hated them, thought they were really, really thought they were devils. You know, old school Italian mama from Italy came here when she was 30. Thought, you know, American rock stars were like evil beings. Uh, And (laughs) so she forbade me to buy the record. And I was, I think, 11, 1979. Yeah, should be 11 at that point. And uh, she said, she sort of defied me and challenged me by saying, Rock, if you want to go buy these uh, record from uh, these are devils, go get a job and make it the money yourself. And I thought, shit, I can do that? I didn't know I could go get a job and make my own money. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so the next day, I, I took her up on it, and she and I walk up and down Jamaica Avenue and Sufferin Boulevard, and yeah. we just went into every store and said, do you have a job? Uh, you know, it wasn't legal or anything, but <laughs> so, uh, this guy, Sal, this really nice guy who ran a pizzeria said, sure, I've got a job. I'll hire you for the summer. Or you'll scoop Italian ice and cuts pizza and open cans of tomatoes and I'll pay you 50 cents an hour. And I like my <laughs> head exploded because I started to add up hours and I was like, that could be 20 bucks a week. That could be 30 bucks a week. That could, and it turns out it was uh, 30 bucks a week because I worked 60 hours and uh, I was the happiest I'd ever been in my entire life. You know, I discovered independence. Yeah. I discovered what um, having uh, a hand in something creative and pizza is still a creative exercise mostly. And um, 
I bought the record. I got Love Gun, and it had a little, you know, back then it was vinyl, and they had things inside them. There was yeah. a little gun that went pop, you know, when you... <laughs> and um, I bought that. I bought Some Girls by the Stones, and I took my mom to Coney Island, and uh, we had a big Chinese lunch feast, and I spent all my money in like 30 minutes. And, <laughs> but it was the best feeling in the world. And That's great. I learned that first day in that in Sal's Pizzeria on Suffolk Boulevard that I love the interaction with people. That's the best part of our business, the restaurant mm. business. We get to make people happy. Yeah. That's what we do for a living. Most people think when you're in the restaurant business, you're a server or you're a cook or you're a manager or a wine guy uh, or a dishwasher or whatever it is. But really what you are is a person who gets to make people happy for a living. Mm. So that's that's cool, no? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So would you say that was, she was the most one of the most influential people in your life? Well, I think up? anyone who says their mom isn't one of the most influential people <laughs> in their lives is being dishonest. Uh, your mom is al- always the most influential person in your life. Um, you know, if you're lucky enough to have one like I did and until recently, uh, and she lived the old school Italian lifestyle. We raised chickens and rabbits for food and grew produce and made our own wine and our own bread. And I ate fresh eggs for most of my you know young adult life. I never, yeah, we didn't buy eggs, you know, in and, New York. Yeah. In, in, in Long Island and yeah. Queens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we had a lot of family. I still have hundreds of relatives in New York and, uh, my aunt still lives that way. She still, you know, makes her own bread and jars her own sauce at the end of the summer. <laughs> and it's a really lovely way to live. I of course suffered from ethnic self-loathing that, you know, almost every first generation kid does. So yeah. I hated it and I was embarrassed by it and didn't admit to it and tried to hide it from my friends. And yeah. then at about 30, I was like, what am I doing? This is so cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's funny to come back and like look at look back when you get thirty and and see the things that you kind of yeah you didn't love as a kid. Yeah, there's nothing minimized, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's like me, my mom. I wish my mom had taught me Chinese, you know. And and I was kind of like "Eh, Chinese culture back in the day, but now I'm like, oh man, I wish. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. So you came, you. That was your first. So that was lesson. a start, and, yeah. I, and I worked in restaurants ever since, and uh, just loved it, loved it, loved it, and it just became more and more and more compelling because uh, food is endless and infinite. There mm-hmm. is no limit to what you can learn. There, um, it's almost impossible to master the art of cooking because food changes all the time, and people's tastes change all the time, and the environment changes, and the amount of water in a tomato is different today than it was yesterday. So you have to do something different today than you did yesterday. So. Yeah. It's like endlessly fascinating and compelling. Mm. And if you are, if you're a culinary student or a student of cuisine and you love the fact that these tomatoes did something different yesterday and today you have to figure out a new way to cook them. Yeah. It's like crack. I mean, you just, you're, you're hooked, you know, and to this day, you know, cutting an onion, throwing it in a pan, hearing that sizzle is one of my favorite things to do. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see how just we were talking about earlier, the food path has changed. Like what is healthy? The idea of what is healthy has changed over the last few years. And now it's in a completely different place. Yeah. So I think the conventional wisdom has always been the same. We all know what's healthy. It's what your grandmother did and what my grandmother did. You know, they just ate local fresh food, cooked it themselves at home and didn't buy store-bought packaged goods. Um, I, I remember being punished, corporally punished for going to a Burger King once. Wow. Yeah, you know, that's how bad, you know, processed food, you know, <laughs> my, even my poor immigrant family who had a fourth grade education, 
understood that processed foods were going to kill you. you weren't, <laughs> we weren't allowed to go to McDonald's and wow. Burger King. We weren't allowed to have soda in the house. And M&Ms were like a once in a decade, you know, treat. Yeah. So we had to hide all that stuff, right? Yeah. I'm sure your grandmother probably would never have let you eat any of that stuff either, right? I, well, I mean, my mother, I mean, she always cooked. So, oh, okay, you good. know, going out to Pizza Hut like once a month was like a was treat. A huge treat. Yeah, 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 a huge treat. Huge treat. So when we obviously, when we all separated and individuated from our parents and became independent people, uh, a lot of us started living like um, typical Americans, which is, you know, the fast food culture and... Mm-hmm. And you start getting fat and then you start your blood <laughs> pressure goes up and you start taking all these medicines that you hear about. And yeah, before you know it, you're like on the road to type two diabetes or heart disease or something, some other awful lifestyle disease Oof. that you can totally avoid. And it's totally reversible if you have it, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back. You were yeah. you um, got your job in the pizzeria with Sal. And then how did you get on the journey of of becoming a chef and then actually into showbiz or sure. TV. Yeah. So you know? it's, it's a long story. I'll try to make it really short. Uh, cause I'm pretty old. Uh, so next summer I worked in pizzeria again, based on the recommendation of, of the Sal from the first summer. And then the summer after that again, and then a bagel nosh in forest Hills on Queens Boulevard. And then, um, a real restaurant, what I call a real restaurant. So this is a place that actually made more than just pizza and bagels mm. and, and sort of fast food. Um, it was run by an old German family and they opened it in the like thirties. So they were really traditional. I, I'll never forget the first day on the job. Um, I cut my hand open really badly. Uh, and I saw a table with about 10 or 12 pigs heads that had been boiled to make something <laughs> called head cheese, salsa, wow. which is a traditional Southern German dish. And that site to this day is like ingrained in my mind. I wish I could take a picture of it. Wow. Um, and so that's how old school they were. And I worked mm. there for many, many years. And then while we were, I worked there, I learned about a place called the Culinary Institute of America. Mm. And I, this is the premier cooking school in the country and the world, some people say. Even Paul Bocuse, one of the great chefs that ever lived, sent his son there. Yeah. And uh, so there was a kid named Jimmy who was at the Culinary Institute of America and he was always bragging about it. And of course I had to go there. So I, uh, I got, you know, I, I applied and did all the nonsense you had to do to get in and waited a year. And while I waited a year, I accelerated through high school. I was so motivated at this point to become a chef that I, I did high school in three years instead of four years. Wow. And then, uh, uh, I did a work study pro, so I went to college immediately after that, mm-hmm. and went did a work study program, and went to Israel, and just kept doing things like that. And the next one was in France, and uh, then I went to Boston University and did took took advantage of multicultural programs yeah. there, and uh, you know my my worldview just expanded so mm-hmm. much. Um, and my love for all kinds of foods expanded and it led me down a path of, uh, where a lot of chefs were going at the time, Wolfgang Puck, Jean-Georges Jean-Gerichten, where we were using lots of ingredients, um, yeah. in our food. We weren't just cooking French food or Italian food or, you know, Latin food. We were cooking our food and each of us developed our own signature style. And that happened at the same time, people became interested mm. in chef's signature style. Yeah. So the press came knocking and said, mm-hmm. hey, we noticed you do something pretty cool and unique, and yeah. would you like to come on TV and tell us how you do it? And I said, sure, why not? And, and then Food Network did the same thing, and 
Uh, then NBC did the same thing. And before I knew it, I was, you know, on TV as much as I was in my restaurants. Uh, I had a restaurant called Union Pacific. Mm. And uh, it, it's not easy to do TV, by the way. I, Just because I... you cook doesn't mean you can do TV. <laughs> we actually had to train. They trained us how to present food on TV because really? that whole dump and stir show format yeah. is very difficult technically to pull off. Yeah. You have to cook with your hands which usually requires your visual attention, yeah. right? But yeah. you have to look at the camera and talk and explain what you're doing at the same time. So if you, you weren't a chef who couldn't, who could do but not explain what you do, yeah, you really had to go into media training and and uh, even acting classes just to learn how to be comfortable in front of the camera. Wow. Um, wow. So that that was an interesting experience. I. I I would say the biggest show I was on is the restaurant. It was a reality show. It was one of the first of its kind on NBC. You know, huge ratings. Uh, Mark Burnett, the Mm -hmm. famous producer who produces Shark Tank and all the great shows everybody loves. Yeah. Uh, Him and Ben Silverman, who now is, you know, essentially the king of the television universe. Yeah. uh, Produced it. And um, I think it paved the way for a, for a lot of the shows that follow, you know, Top Chef and Master Chef and Yeah. Yeah. You were on Iron Chef? Uh I or never Top did Chef? Iron Chef. Oh, you know what? So funny. Iron Chef was bought by an American company, uh CBS was the parent in 2001 and uh myself Todd English and Emerald Lagasse were going to be the network. Uh, they were going to put it on network uh, TV, right at that point, it was just reruns from Japan. Got it. Which were the best, by the way. They've never improved that format. Um, and uh, then 9-11 happened. And so that show that show oh, man. basically fell apart. Um, another funny thing happened. I was about to open a restaurant with Donald Trump uh, on his 49th Street oh and First Avenue building. It was a new building. Uh, and wow. then 9-11 happened. And so that fell apart, too. But um so I would have been business with him right now. John George now has a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've actually been. In I place. might have been in business with our next president. Who knows? That would have been very interesting. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. <laughs> I have to say, it was a very straightforward businessman. He he pulled no punches. He, you know, he negotiated like a stand-up guy. So yeah, well, he's billionaire. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously <laughs> doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. So you had, you were doing, you had your restaurant and you were doing TV shows all at the same time? Yeah, restaurant, TV shows, writing books, um, you know, traveling a lot. Yeah, I was, I was, I was doing too much for uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, how do you manage your time when you're doing all this? You, poorly. You do manage it very <laughs> poorly and something's going to fail. So, uh, so what ended up happening is I took stock of what I was doing at the time and I had to ask myself, how, you know, do you spend... What's more valuable for your business and everyone who you employ, which at that point was five or 600 people, and do you spend more time marketing your product or creating your product and perfecting your product? What, mm. Which is going to be beneficial for the company? And it was a really hard question to answer because at that time we were just starting to be able to be on TV as much as we wanted and, yeah. and have those commercial opportunities to market yeah. your product. And I think it's a question for every creative person, right? You can't just be um, a good chef anymore. There was a time where if you were the guy who ran Lutece and you had the best restaurant in America, that's all you needed to do, and people would knock down your door and come find you. Yeah. But now there are so many good chefs and there are so many good restaurants that you have to stand out by doing crazy things like Top Chef and you know getting a lot of tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of tattoos. Yeah. Now, have just, you seen it? Yeah. When, I was, when I was growing up in the business, if you had a tattoo, no chef would hire you. 
Yeah. They wouldn't hire yeah. you if you had facial hair. Now, if you don't have a lot of tattoos and facial hair, you can't work in the chef business. Yeah, you got to have the look. You have to have the chef totally. look. <laughs> That's crazy. So now you guys you, invented it right here on these streets, the main streets of Willieburg. The Willie B. <laughs> <laughs> now, you talk about having a style and, and um, you know, people coming after you for that. What would you say your style is? What's your style sure. of creating uh, cooking? It's interesting because it took me a while to figure it out. I remember working at Union Pacific and just cooking out of from instinct. And um, I'm sure like you see things and feel inspired. I see ingredients and feel inspired. That's mm -hmm. what inspires me. I look at uh, an ingredient. I taste an ingredient. Uh, doesn't matter what it is. And ideas pop into my mind. Just like you probably look at a subject and ideas pop into your mind and you take a beautiful picture. And then yeah. sometimes I see you paint over them. Yeah. Uh, which uh, Helmut Newton would think is probably ghastly, right? <laughs> what would he have thought of painting over his portraits? Um, right. By the way, did you buy that book? Were you, uh, you, were, you were too young, right? The big coffee table Helmut Newton book. Remember that? Oh, uh, but I've seen it. And, yeah. I, and I want to and buy that I book, know. actually. It's worth about half a million dollars now. Um, I remember uh, I was living in New York when that was published and thinking about buying it. And it was $2,000. And I thought this... That's just way too much money for a book. It'll never be worth $2,000. And <laughs> obviously, I was wrong. Um, Helmut Newton's one of my favorite photographers. Yeah, he's, by the way. he's, he's amazing. Yeah. So, my, my style happened before I knew what it was. I, I cooked from gut. I feel like I mastered my craft enough so that I could apply my point of view to it, mm -hmm. um, which is where I think. Um, a craftsman and an artist converge. Yeah. So it's like, can you take the picture and then can you do something else with it? That's, you know, when you go from just a guy who can press the shutter to a guy who can create art that moves people, right? Absolutely. And I'm not saying I'm that or you're that. I'm just saying I think that's what happens in a perfect world. Yeah. And I remember very distinctly when my point of view kicked in. I'd been cooking for, you know, a really long time. Uh, as you know, I started at 11, and at 29, uh, I was the chef of a restaurant, and I had to have a point of view. I had to create a menu, and yeah. so I was just digging in and doing what I felt tasted good and looked good, and I was fortunate enough to have partners who let me do that, and really fortunate to have mm. uh, the New York City audience who encouraged that and loved loved it and lived yeah. for it. You know, the foodie scene, uh, you know, started in the 80s, and the, the typical New York City customer is the dream customer. I mean, they want to go down that journey with you. <laughs> they want to experience new things. They're so happy and willing and open. And it's really fortunate that I was I had a, a stage like that at that time. Yeah. And um, so someone said, you should write a book. And I said, I, I don't know what I'd write it about. One of my customers approached me and said, yeah. you should write a book. And I said, what would I write it about? He said, you're, you're cooking. And I was like, I don't really know how to say, I don't know how to, characterize what I do in yeah. my cooking and it took me a couple of years and this person turned out to be my one of my best customers he used to come for lunch four or five days a week wow and a few years later I said I think I finally know what I'm doing I think I understand what what's happening creatively when I cook and he said good because I'm the editor of Hyperion and I'd like to buy your first book wow. <laughs> and his name is Will Schwalbe and he published Amazing. Flavor for me and in Flavor I described what I do and uh, because of the travel and because growing up in Queens, which, you know, the ethnic diversity of Queens is incredible. And 
um, I've being experienced to so many kinds of food by by such a young age really opens up your palate. So I realized I was taking and borrowing flavors from any culture, no matter what it was, not really understanding what they were originally meant for, and just using my own prism mm. to put it into a dish until I thought it tasted good. Mm. And trying at the same time to balance the four flavors that we recognize, sour, salt, sweet, bitter. Yeah. And every dish is some combination of those flavors. And once I realized mm. that any ingredient, whether you've heard of it or not, falls into one of those categories or more of the one or more of those categories, you can figure out what to do with it. It's yeah. just a balance of those four flavors, like, like the four primary colors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in my first book flavor, I use uh, sour, salt, sweet, bitter and colors to try to create a code for flavor. Yeah. Um, I, I can, uh, red to sweet and blue to salt and green to bitter and Got yellow, it. yellow to sour kind of makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what I try to do is create combinations of flavor that were exciting enough to give you pause for a moment, but didn't challenge you to the point where you didn't understand it. And there was a, um, a buildup and a conclusion. So beginning, middle, and an end. You know, there was, yeah. a, there was excitement, there is the peak of the story, and then a conclusion, a finale, you know, yeah. and it all made sense somehow. So even though it was... I was out in a limb with really crazy ingredients at that time, especially. Um, now they're not; they wouldn't be considered crazy anymore. Um, they had to make sense to you in terms of flavor. They had mm. to resolve themselves in a way that you thought, "Oh, I've never heard of you know uni and mustard oil and tomato water and you know these base scallops from uh, this little island off Nantucket Bay." But when I put those four ingredients together, they form one unique flavor that yeah. is interesting and delicious. So the customer doesn't really have to think of it. I do all the thinking for them and they just do all the enjoying. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, as an art, you have to have a vision, you know, and whatever, like, whatever that vision is, you can kind of see it and then you have the tools and the knowledge to be able to put that together. It's really cool when that happens and you, you can feel it sometimes happening. Sometimes it happens unconsciously and Sometimes people tell you it's happening, you don't believe it. And, um, but when people ask me about cooking and you know, what they should do, I always say, you know, master the craft, but get the basic skills down and then figure out what you, your point of view is and yeah. apply that point of view and see what comes out. Absolutely. That's the fun part. Yeah. So you say point of view, what, what would you say your point of view is? So point of view in terms of flavor is exactly the same. It's, uh, it's about creating exciting combinations of flavor that uh, that makes sense, that have a beginning, middle, and an end, that, that have a story but make sense. But now, instead of just being delicious, they have to be healthy and delicious. Because about 10 years ago, I started to have my own health problems that needed oh. to be addressed. And I, could, I was given two choices, address them with medicine. And these are the typical medicines that everyone, you know, uh, falls in the habit of taking. We take, you know, uh, what all the... Uh, statin medications for for high cholesterol and all the blood pressure medications and the medications like Nexium and Prilosec. No one even thinks about these things anymore, you know, yeah. but they all have consequences and side effects. And over yeah. over 20 years, they're going to do something that's not good to your body. And it would be much better if you could avoid them. So the, the doctor started telling me, you know, these are the side effects and they didn't sound like a lot of fun. Impotence is not a fun <laughs> side effect. It's not something you want to think about at 37 years old. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, in addition to shortness of breath, sudden death, anal leakage, uh, brain fog, uh, you know, you've seen those commercials where they run down the, oh, yeah. the list of sites. It's endless, yeah. right? So I thought, how, well, how can I avoid this? And I asked him and he said, well, you can just change your diet and exercise. It'll be a little more active. I know you won't do it. I tell everyone to do that. No one ever listens, but that's your other option. And for the first time in my life, I actually listened. Wow. And instead of being reckless, I did what I thought was the right thing. And a year later, I was doing Ironman triathlons. And Insane. when you're training for Ironman, you have to eat a lot of calories. And, <laughs> and I wanted to eat calories that I liked. So I started to re-engineer foods that I love, like lobster bisque was one of the first. And Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's amazing how food can change your health problems and things like that. And, you know, our mutual friend, Stacy London, you know, Stacy who Stacy, what I've never heard of her. <laughs> uh, you know, where she, is she, by the way? I don't know. I think <laughs> she's supposed to be in the, she loves the kettlebells over here. So I think she like is always, Stacy like, want- does not love kettlebells. <laughs> Tell me, am I, are you being serious? Uh, well, she, she always jokes about sitting in the corner and lifting kettlebells while I'm she doing jokes podcasts about it, right? for yeah, things exactly, like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see her do kettlebells instead of kettlebells. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see that too. One day, <laughs> one day, you know, but she accredits a lot, you know, of her health to, to you helping her through her, her like autoimmune diseases and different things like that. What do you recommend for people in that sense? Like what are the big, I guess, what are the big things that you can cut from your diet that, you know, say gluten and different things like that? So this is a really big conversation and a very important (laughs) one. I don't know how long this podcast is, but I have to say a couple things before I get into what I did for Stacy. Um, our food system is set up to slowly poison us over our lifetime. Okay, the food that is typically available to the average American is not really food, it's a food-like substance, mostly comprised of chemicals and preservatives and Mm -hmm. lots of pesticide residue. We have been marketed to believe that it is food. And if you ask your grandmother, and my grandmother died at 95, 20 years ago, so that's how old I am. I don't, when I say your grandmother to your average listeners, they're probably thinking, my grandmother's 50. What, my gra- <laughs> she loves McDonald's, you know, and maybe your great grandmother or a great great grandmother. But yeah. if, you, if you go back 75 years and 100 years and do what those people did, you're going to be fine. You're, you can eat butter and cheese and uh, all the stuff and meat and, and drink wine and beer, and you'll, you're, you'll, you'll be okay because. Back then, we had an active lifestyle. We, you know, cars were a luxury or non-existent, depending on how old your grandmother is. And you had to work really hard for calories. Now, calories come so easy. You can consume thousands and thousands of calories without any effort at all. So that's where the imbalance happens. And all of the processed food that's out there, the majority of food that people eat, is calorie dense. And they're empty calories. They're not Mm. non-nutritive calories. So we're basically consuming the worst kind of fuel that we can consume mm-hmm. without replenishing any nutrients. So we're depleting our body of nutrients. And, mm. and so it's, I guess it would be like, if you smoke crack, you'll, you'll feel energy, right? You'll feel <laughs> energized. You will have a sudden burst of energy. Um, but if you ate a lot of whole grain, you'd have energy as well but you wouldn't be killing yourself at the same time, you know, yeah. you'd, because the whole grain would come with protein and fiber and phytonutrients and micronutrients that your blood and your muscle and your brain and your, your organs all need to keep reproducing the cells that keep us alive. 
Um, so think of processed food as crack and think of whole food, which I talk about extensively in the negative calorie diet as the, the food that will refuel and sustain your life forever and not deplete resources. Yeah. It, will, it will replace resources that you use up as you live your life every day. Because as you walk and talk and breathe, you're using up resources in your body and you yeah. need to replace them. Um, 67% of this country is overweight and, and obese. 34% of this country is obese. Obesity wow. means you have a BMI of uh, 25 or more. Uh, body that roughly translates to a body fat percent of 25 or more for men and 30 or more for women. Yeah. Um, over half of the country has that, by the way. Obesity-related diseases kill more Americans than uh, car accidents, uh, heroin overdoses, Al-Qaeda, wow. lung cancer. Uh, <laughs> I could name 15 other causes of death combined. And obesity and metabolic uh, syndrome and lifestyle-related diseases kill more people than all of those combined. So I don't think it's understood how big and profound a problem it is. Wow. But you can stop it immediately, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You can listen to this podcast and make another choice and change. And it's a form of protest. Yeah. I think it's a form of protest because you have to fight, you know, the big food companies who control your environment. When you walk into a store... You're surrounded by bad choices, mm-hmm. and you have to really look hard for the good choices. They're yeah. in the perimeter. The they're the they're the things that look like a whole apple and a whole yeah. head of broccoli, and they're typically not in a package. And you have to actually know what they look like and be able to name them and <laughs> be able to bring them home and process them yourself. Yeah. And and for most Americans, that's not really easy. Yeah. Most people don't cook anymore. So, yeah. but it's a big problem. We, we've moved away from a country that used to cook and eat local fresh food to a country that eats a lot of processed food or foods that are imported from very far away that have yeah. almost no nutritional benefit left. Mm. You know, when food travels 5,000 miles, it's not really what it was when it started. Yeah. Um, and the countries that have the least obesity, like Italy, France, Spain, um, Japan, have interesting things in common. They're still eating at home most nights of the week. They're still eating local fresh food. They don't eat out of season food. They're active. Um, They're not exercising at the gym. They're active. Mm. We think exercising at the gym is a way to sustain a healthy lifestyle, but you can't out train a bad diet. You can be at the gym eight days a Mm. week and you can be lifting weights and in the really cool gear, you know, looking hot on that uh, treadmill, but doing absolutely nothing. If you're not eating well, uh, you said that at you, you at 30 figured out the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I turned 30 and, you know, I kind of hit a higher point in my career too. So I was like making enough money. I moved to New York city and the restaurant game here obviously is on point and I would just be out every night, just even whatever pork belly cart, like all macaroni and cheese. Like Thinking any, it's yeah. the best food in the world, right? It's yeah, good food. Yeah. yeah. And then I turn around like a couple of years later and a good buddy of mine, he's like, he like point like points at me. He's like, dude, you're you're kind of like packing it on. Then I look oh, at myself, I was like, man. oh man, you know, that's like I the worst am. thing you can hear. 
Yeah, and it was like something you kind of like mentally just eh, I see it in the mirror, just kind of like let it go, let it yeah. go, and then when your buddy points it out to you, you're kind of like, okay, maybe I should do something about this. Yeah. And so I kind of looked at what I was eating, I cut cut down a lot of carbs and sugars. I couldn't com- cut them out all completely, but and then I started working out a little bit, even if it was just I was just jump roping and doing different things. Now I have a whole like plyo. Jump system. rope is an amazing exercise, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's you great. did one exercise. If your back can handle it, that's that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you you figured out that cutting carbs and the super indulgent meals at all these wonderful New York City restaurants was the way to go, huh? Exactly. Yeah, it's the carbs and the sugars, I think, that I noticed really, you know, and it was a slow thing. Even like now I'm cutting out more sugars than I was, you know, a year ago. Uh, but the carbs was huge. I, I definitely realized the carbs were, I don't know, you could probably explain this more, is they're just like, sugars and they break down and yeah yeah sure so, so car, car, carbs and sugars <laughs> are the same thing uh processed carbs and sugars are basically the same thing they turn they they become glucose and in your blood immediately they have a very uh, what's called a high glycemic impact or a high sugar impact yeah um so any white bread white rice uh, almost all processed foods 86 percent of processed foods have um now you're making me think I have something on my nose. Oh no, that was me. Eighty-six <laughs> uh, percent of processed foods have some form of sugar in it, and there there are four hundred to five hundred different names for sugar. By the way, so you know brown syrup solids. Why you think that's not wow. sugar is sugar, uh, and it, it's everywhere. It's 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 pernicious and de- it's devastating because when you eat. Um, too much sugar, which is an empty calorie that contains no nutrition at all, even honey, by the way. You know, everyone talks about raw honey, maple syrup. It's definitely better than white cane sugar or high fructose corn syrup, but essentially breaks down into glucose in your blood just as fast as, you know, white cane sugar. Um, listen, if you're eating chewing sugar cane, then you're then it's okay because you're you know there's a lot of work that's involved to get the sugar out of sugar cane but uh when they put the sugar cane through the machine and turn it into white sugar for you that that that's when you lose the 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 ability for the sugar to slowly break down in your body and not cause what's known as an insulin reaction where your mm. body starts to um tell all the other parts of its body we need to store fat um we need to store these calories for another mm. day. We need to. We can't waste calories. Calories are super important because we're still, you know, uh, our bodies are still evolved to the point uh, that we basically started at fifty thousand years ago. We haven't evolved that much in fifty thousand years. I mean, yeah. we still think a calorie is a very valuable thing, and so we store them. Um, yeah. And if you eat a lot of calories, your body won't get rid of them because it, it's it. It's gonna. It says, "Hey, we need to store these for later." And the way it stores sugar is by converting it into fat. It literally transforms the sugar into fat, and your um, it's a complex process that happens. You know, starting with insulin and your liver, and you end up with a gut, and then a big ass, and then thighs, and then <laughs> you know, man boobs, and it, you're a 38 waist before you know it, then a 42 waist before you know it, and your your vital organs and the visceral fat surrounding them is 50 pounds of fat and it's yeah. going to kill you there's no question about it you know yeah. we we all know people who have uh, type 2 diabetes a disease that didn't exist 50 years ago by the way um or heart disease or high cholesterol issues or you know other m- metabolic syndrome uh you know, GERD, which is gastro uh, reflux disease, mm. that comes from all of that comes from eating. So 
to to bring it back to Stacy, she was feeling a lot of symptoms. She has an autoimmune disorder called psoriatic arthritis, um, which is um, which can be flared up by eating certain foods like gluten, um, sugar, nightshades, which is mm-hmm. the family of vegetables that includes tomatoes, eggplant, peppers, mm. uh, tomatillos, unfortunately, gooseberries, chilies. So <laughs> if she went on a diet without any of those substances, which is what I provided for her on a daily basis, yeah. she, her flare-ups would go down and the, the occurrences would reduce dramatically and she wouldn't have to take the steroids and all the medicines that she had to take. And, uh, and it worked really well and she lost weight and she did it for about a year and, I, and, and hopefully it reset her, her thinking and uh, gave yeah. her a sense of new normal and new normal can be had really easily and new normal can be where you make the healthy choice instead of the unhealthy choice. If you just know what the healthy choice is, which is where my book comes in handy. Yeah. But we all know, right? We all know that whole foods are better than processed foods. And we all know that candy bars are not good for us. We all know that <laughs> McDonald's is not good for us. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, if we invest a little time in cooking, I know you love to cook. I do. Yeah. I do. I mean, I'm not quite the master that you are, but you know. Oh, please. I'm not the master that I am. Cooking <laughs> is hard for everybody, but it can be easy if you don't take it too seriously. Yeah. You, and we'll definitely, I definitely want to get into your book here in just a couple of seconds. But, you know, we did actually make a couple of recipes from your book. I heard. Which were amazing. I saw pictures. They looked amazing. Yeah. You actually re Instagrammed one. I did. That's right. <laughs> it was delicious. I was the shrimp and um, the shaved cauliflower yes. and kale. Yes, so yeah. good and the red cabbage and chicken so delicious so delicious um but before we jump into the book i want to i want to rewind a little bit because i think here's the the issue of like jumping into healthy eating is the mental challenge of actually you know we just talked about how do you even begin to make the choice to go in the right direction to choose the right food to choose whole over processed so so many responses to that going through my mind and I wish we could get through all of them because they're all important. But you said something interesting. You said you were doing better in your career. So you started to go out to eat at at restaurants more frequently because New York city restaurants are expensive and you need to be doing better or you need a sugar daddy or sugar mama, you know, one (laughs) or the other. Um, But at some point you, you did better and you, your sense of self-value probably increased. You probably thought, you know, I probably, I'm, I'm going to be successful and people like my art and I didn't expect this to happen. And holy crap, you know, right? Yeah. You must have had a moment where like you, you came to New York. Do you, are you from New York? No, I'm from Seattle. I was in Okay, so you're yeah. a classic, like classic story of the kid who, you know, comes from another place to New York City to make it and you're doing it. Yeah. And when you... When you value yourself, you start to want to invest in yourself so that you can continue to enjoy the fruits of your labor for a long time. And I think that when people don't value themselves enough, they mistreat themselves. Mm. And so it's very much a psychological issue. Um, There are a lot of reasons people overeat, you know, emotional reasons, self-soothing, uh, some people take drugs to self-soothe. Some people masturbate too much. Some people overeat. Some people are sex addicts. Some people watch too much TV. But yeah. I would say that of all the drugs that are abused and all the ways to self-soothe, food is probably one of the most abused drugs in this country. Um, 
And the thing that I figured out is you can still use food to self-soothe, but it can be good for you at the same time. It can be healthy and delicious at the same time. So I think there's an epiphany, there's an illuminating moment where you say, hey, I'm worth more than how I'm treating myself. Mm-hmm. I'm worth more than this. And I should be treating myself like I treat my $300 pair of, you know, Michael Jordan's limited edition or whatever. <laughs> you know, when you buy something really nice and you, yeah. and you treat it like it's gold and rare. Well, our bodies are pretty much the the hottest thing ever designed. I mean, they're magnificent pieces of machinery and design and we're sentient and we can think and not only can we run and move and, you know, do things like cars and trains and planes do, but we can, we have a thought process. We can think about it while we're doing it. We're we're miraculous creatures, right? Mm -hmm. And most of us treat our miraculous uh, creature like it's garbage. Yeah. And yeah. it's not our fault. We, we, this generation should not be blamed for it. It's the last few generations that got together and said, hey, you know what? We can make a lot more money selling food if we make it addictive. So let's get some chemists and, you know, all the big food companies, and you know, you know who they are, did get together. And they hired chemists and food scientists to create addictive formulas of sugar, fat, and salt in certain mm. combinations that virtually make it impossible for you to stop eating them. Yeah. And their profits went up. And if you go down the snack food aisle, now there's four or five snack food aisles, there's endless choices. And that's because it's a highly profitable business. It's billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. And they're not going to give it up easily. We have to fight them. We have to tell them and, and let them know that we're, we're better than they think we think we are and we want better choices. And mm. we're starting to do that. Yeah. You know, the fact that there's a Whole Foods tells you that you know, yeah. people are willing to spend more money for better choices. And the better for you category of foods is increasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the restaurants that are considered better for you when you use McDonald's as a baseline, you know, Chick-fil-A and Chipotle and... Uh, you know, uh, Shake Shack are considered better for you, but we're going to go to the next level now with sweet greens. And hopefully I'm going to contribute to that soon. Mm. Um, and given the choice, most people will make a better choice. The, f- the problem is they're we're born. Our parents get us addicted to sugar yeah. without even realizing it. And it's, we're, we're addicts and there's nothing you can do about it except Absolutely. break your addiction, which is a hard thing to do, but totally possible. And you can do it in three days. Um, some, some, Doctors thinks, think it's as hard to break a sugar addiction as it is to break an addiction to a class two narcotic, which is cocaine, heroin. Yeah. And I agree. It is that hard. Yeah. Uh, it, it takes a lot longer typically for most for people to do that. Uh, one or two stints in rehab. Most people can give up <laughs> alcohol or hard drugs. But yeah, uh, how many diets do people go on before they finally, you know, hundreds and yeah. hundreds of times? So you need that illuminating moment. You need that. It's the prequel to that day that's the hardest, where you debate whether or not you should make changes. So you saw yourself gaining weight, and I saw myself gaining weight, and I, I you know, played around with the idea of going to the gym and eating better and cutting my alcohol con- consumption. And, and then one day, I made a conscious decision to do it, and that day is the hardest day to get to. And, yeah. But once you make that decision, it's so easy after that. Yeah. All of yeah. a sudden, you kind of know, because you've been hearing this information in the news and in newspapers, and your grandmother told you, and 
it makes sense. That's pretty much it's very logical, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. whole foods and fruits and vegetables and organic foods and non residue foods that have very little pesticide residue are better for you. Um, it's just getting yourself to make that choice. It's like uh, we've all had that boyfriend or girlfriend that we've been with for too long. Yeah. And the day we break up with them, we're like, why didn't I do that five years ago? I'm so much happier. Why the fuck did I stay with this person <laughs> yeah. for so long? I was addicted to them. Yeah. I was addicted to the routine, to the lifestyle. And then one day you thought, no, I'm worth more than this. And I need to make a change. And you do it. And it's like, you know, bricks yeah. off your back, right? Your weight off your back. And it's the same thing with food. So how do you get to that point? I, th- I think it was, your, was your original question. It's, it's got to go from an uncon. You have to first recognize you're addicted to sugar. You have to go from eating unconsciously, which is just eating what's in front of you, mm-hmm. to making choices consciously. Yeah. Um, like when you go to a bar and you order a cocktail and then they say, do you want one more? And you, you sometimes think about it and say, <laughs> do I want one more? Or maybe it takes five to get to the point <laughs> to where you think about it. And then you exercise something called impulse control. And you say, no, I've had enough. Yeah. That's what you need yeah. to do with food. And the information is out there. I've written many books. There are hundreds, if not tens of thousands of books that will yeah. give you the instructions you need to change your life and make healthy your new normal. Absolutely. Um, you just, but it's up to you to make the decision to actually do it. You know? Yeah. So the, the, I don't know if I answered your question. but Yeah, no. What it really comes down to is ask yourself, how much do you value yourself? Yeah. And how, what's it going to take for you to make the changes? And there are a lot of great, you know, healthy foods that taste amazing. And I mean, since I've been working on this and it's like, I found, I still eat very well. I still eat a lot. You eat better, actually. <laughs> you eat better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what you mentioned that three days to break to, uh, yeah, it to takes, cut. What's, so, what's your method? So, um, it, it typically takes 21 days to change any behavior. Any behavior that you don't like, uh, that you you practice, mm-hmm. you can you can change in 21 days. Anything, absolutely mm-hmm. anything. Um, a sugar addiction per se by itself can be broken in three days, and the process is to uh, it's a cold turkey process. If I, <laughs> I have a pound, I have a service where I send fresh food to people, which is what Stacy was on, uh, and in that process, I eliminate all forms of sugar. There is mm. no sugar on my diet, um, but I do use sweeteners that are non, uh, that have very low sugar impact, have a low glycemic impact, and they're uh, non-nutritive mostly. So monk fruit, which is a Chinese mm. melon called lohanguo, which has uh. been used in China for as medicine for thousands of years, uh, and stevia, which mm. is an herb that is simply dried and an extract is made. Uh, don't confuse it with Truvia, which is a chemical <laughs> form of stevia that is not natural. Uh. Um, I use that and I use coconut nectar, which is a mm. nutritive sweetener, meaning it has calories, but they're okay calories. They're, there's a lot of inulin, which is a kind of fiber that occurs naturally in coconut palm mm. that slows the absorption process. So if you eat a little coconut nectar, it won't cause diabetes like you know regular cane sugar. Yeah. Um, so I cut you off. The bad sugars immediately. There's no white rice, white pasta. I figured out how to make pasta and and cakes and pies and cookies from protein and vegetables and all you know all the things I lay out and in all my books from Now Eat This to the Negative Calorie Diet. I, I share all my secrets 
uh, the secrets I've learned in, in the last years of what's essentially been 10 years of R&D. Wow. I mean, I make pasta out of protein that has no glycemic impact at all. You can make it at home too. The recipe, I mean, it's in this book, the spinach pasta recipe. Yeah, I'm going to have you to know? dive um, into that one soon. And, and then water. You have to drink a lot of water. That really helps because um, there'll be migraines and there'll be some withdrawal for some people. It's worse than others. Yeah. Um, and then the routine part. So, so that's the physical part, right? The physical addiction. But there's also, it's, it's um, psychosocial bio, right? So there's a, a social part of it, like smoking can be a social thing, you know, where you're hanging out with a crowd of people and it's fun to smoke and that routine of putting something in your mouth, um, you have to replace that. So I, I tell people to buy an air popper and eat a lot of popcorn. Oh, non GMO, of course, popcorn. Uh, and the biological addiction I take care of by replacing your foods with good foods that don't have sugar in it. Mm. And the psychological one is the hardest one. It's something that you have to work on. And, you know, seeing a therapist is, is a very good idea to help you with that process because it's yeah. very hard to do. And you have to figure out what your triggers are. So why, when you reach for, um, I don't know, what's, what's a, a Milky Way bar or a bag of M&Ms or Reese's Pieces, What's, what's causing you to do that? Like, what do you feel? Are you depressed? Are you lonely? Are you horny? Are you, you know, what is it like mm. that's making you, making you soothe some emptiness in you, in, in you. Yeah. And you have to replace that with a different form of soothing and, and it can, and it can still be food. Yeah. Uh, it could be meditation. It could be painting, could be exercise. It could be socializing. Yeah. You know, if you look at the countries that have the least obesity problem, they are countries that still eat uh, at a table together at a certain time, they still eat with other people. Uh, we eat alone a lot in America. We don't yeah. go to the table at seven o'clock anymore. You know, millennials don't even have whole meals. They graze all day long, essentially. They snack all day long. And yeah. most of the time they're in their rooms on their computers and their phones, not looking or talking to someone. But if you go to Italy, France, and Spain at Mezzogiorno, the whole family gets together and they eat and talk and laugh. So the void is filled with human interaction, which yeah. is ultimately the most satisfying, you know, self-soothing device there is. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we eat, right? <laughs> it's That's community. Part of it is to commune. Exactly. To commune. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, let's jump into the book now. Tell, sure. So uh, Rocco's new book is The ne Negative Calorie Diet. And you just came out with this. Yes. So it's about three ago. weeks old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, three weeks old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the negative calorie, calorie diet is based on what I do for my clients when they reach their goal weight. So I have clients that unexpectedly stay for me for years. I've got clients that are, are with me for two years. And uh, commercial weight loss programs that provide food have what's called a client mortality rate, mm -hmm. which means the amount of time they stay on your plan. And that's typically six to eight weeks. So if mm -hmm. you're, you're a system or Jenny Craig, you typically fall off at six to eight weeks. But... On my diet, I've got people 18 months, 20 months, 24 months. So what do you do once they reach their goals to maintain? And most of them want to stop counting calories, stop, stop having to make it so conscious mm -hmm. because it is a lot of work. And I've reset their thinking already. They, the new normal is healthy for them. Mm. They, they no longer crave the sweets. They're totally off the drugs, you know, they're, they're not addicts anymore. Yeah. So, um, I had to figure out how to feed them in a way that was easy to adopt and, uh, wasn't, uh, didn't have to take up so much of their time. So 
I started to experiment with myself and I saw that what worked was to separate the worlds of food into what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And it turns out that what you should eat is a very big, big, big pile of food. Hmm. And what you shouldn't eat is much, much smaller than we think it is. Yeah. You don't know that from a, a trip to the grocery store because marketing makes it that the bad foods are in your face and the good foods are hidden. Yeah. Um, but if you just focus on all the foods in the negative calorie diet, which encompasses 98% of the foods out there, um, you can eat unlimited amounts of them. Yeah. So there are foods that you can eat unlimited amounts of. And that's how I put my clients on a maintenance program. I give them these foods in any amount that they want. Yeah. So they never feel deprived or hungry. And the more you eat, the more weight you lose because a lot of these foods mm. cause your body to burn more calories than the foods contain. So when you eat uh, broccoli and cucumbers and celery and water, water is the actual scientifically proven one. Uh, water has no calories, but your body burns uh, a calorie per ounce metabolizing water. Mm. And the same thing is true for a lot of the other foods I list in the book, which are cruciferous vegetables uh, apples, citrus, um, mushrooms, um, green leafy vegetables. Um, I give you top 10 lists of all my negative calorie foods in every, in every category, proteins, meat, fish, yeah. uh, even spices, um, nuts. Uh, these are foods that essentially make you full before they make you fat. And that's the basis of this book food, you know, mm. restricting, when I say restricting, it's a misuse of the word because it's not restrictive at all. It's actually very freeing because, I've now opened up your world of foods that you can't eat from this small population of foods that you should avoid and be constantly thinking about to don't think about the foods you should avoid anymore. Just think about the foods you should seek out. And that's so much easier than avoiding the foods that you should avoid. Yeah. Um, and it's thousands of foods and I've got 75 new recipes with pictures in this book and there's a diet program in here, but you don't need it. If you just start eating the, re if you start cooking that way yeah. and just eating those recipes and, mm -hmm. and your versions of those recipes, you'll lose weight immediately. I mean, you'll, you'll lose weight and you'll, and you'll keep it off. That's great. Yeah. I mean that I'm, I'm excited to kind of dive in here and try more of the recipes because they're, they're very easy too. I mean, the ones we made. Oh, I'm were, glad you think so. Yeah. Good, good, good. That's always a very <laughs> important part of, uh, how I put these recipes together. Cause w when I cook for my clients, the process is a little more complicated, but for the average home cook, you know, after five to seven ingredients, you start to, your eyes glaze over and <laughs> you're like, Oh, I'm not, it's too hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the whole idea is, so the, these foods are good for you food there. You're getting good nutrients. Yes. They're nutrient dense. So what makes a food a negative calorie food is a food that is whole food, not mm -hmm. processed. Okay. Nutrient dense has a lot of fill power. Fill power comes from nutrient density or mm -hmm. fiber density or water density. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these foods have all three. Plus there are foods that are thermogenic, meaning they increase the, your body heat. And that is a result of increasing your metabolic rate, which which is a result of increasing your heartbeats per minute. So if you eat cayenne pepper, for example, it in and of itself will increase your heart rate 25%. Wow. So your metabolic rate will go up safely, by the way. And obviously, if you have a heart disease and you're a day away from a heart attack, you, should, you shouldn't be trying to increase your metabolic rate. But there are lots of foods that have this that cause thermogenesis. And I list them in the, the mm -hmm. book and I include them, you know, as often as possible in the recipes. I mean, I base the recipes on the foods that are thermogenic and, and negative calorie and 
have high fill power so that you're yeah. always eating the, the foods that will do good for you. But so technically speaking, a negative calorie food is a food that contains less calories than your body burns metabolizing them after you've consumed them. Got it. Got it. So now you talked about, you know, the whole people eat all day, yes, grazing all yes. day. Is that, you know, is that, that was something that people were like, oh yeah, you got to keep eating all day. So, that your yeah, so the more you eat, the more you lose when it comes to negative calorie foods, the more you eat of the right foods, even if it's not a negative calorie food, almonds are in this book and they're in my top 10 list. It's not mm. technically a negative calorie food. It's actually a very high calorie food and you don't technically burn more calories than they contain. Um, but I took some poetic license because they're very high in fiber and protein and nutrients. So uh, they're worth the, the risk of overeating. And incidentally, it's very hard to overeat almonds because they fill you up before they make you fat. It's, you can't overeat almonds. I challenge you to overeat almonds. <laughs> no, no one can do it because your stomach simply cannot handle too yeah. much almonds the way yeah. it can't handle too much broccoli. Try to get fat eating broccoli. It's not, it's not possible. Yeah, absolutely. I love broccoli now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's, there's that. And, and what you're, what you described is called metabolic fasting. So mm. fasting is not eating. And when you don't eat, your body thinks you're starving and it goes back to, you know, 50,000 years ago and it, you know, a little survival flight or fight, uh, thing kicks in and yeah. everything you eat after you're hungry gets stored as fat. So if you ever feel mm. hunger pangs, if you ever feel hungry, just know that the next time you eat, all that's going to be stored as fat. It's not going to be burned. Ooh. So you should never feel hungry. You should eat so that you never feel hungry. And if you're eating the right foods, you will never gain weight. You'll constantly burn those calories. Got it. Yeah. And fat, by the way, um, does not make you fat. Fat, if the more fat you eat, mm. the more fat you burn. So there's generous amounts of fat in these recipes. It's good fat, and the difference between good fat is usually, you know, the source, whether it's animal or plant-based, and how much uh, saturated fat there is. And, and, and there's some, you know, hard-to-understand ones, like coconut oil has a very high level of saturated fat, but it's good for you. Why is that? Because coconut is just, just this miraculous product <laughs> that uh, even though it's got high levels of saturated fat, it lowers your uh, bad cholesterol and raises your HDL, your high, high density lipoprotein, yeah. which is good for you. Even though it doesn't make any sense at all, yeah. it happens to do that. Yeah. Know? Well, a lot of this, the fat stuff is good for your brain too, right? For sure. Good yeah. for your brain, hormone production. You can't produce hormones without fat. Um, you know, women who get too skinny stop having their period, which means they, they don't pr produce estrogen and all the hormones they need. Mm. Uh, a lot of athletes you know, experience that, um, women who are too thin and anorexic will experience that. And same thing is true for men. If you're, if you go below 5% body fat or 10% body fat, not that, not that the average person walking around America is, but, yeah. uh, there is such thing as too little fat, but you you definitely need to be consuming at least 15 grams to 30 yeah. or 40 grams a day. Got it. Got it. But plant-based, so coconut, olive oil, avocado oil, nuts, of course are great. Even a little grass-fed butter. You know, yeah. grass, uh, pasture-raised um, cattle produce um, butter that is actually good good for you fat as opposed to grain-fed cattle. Yeah, great. So what are three, I would say, what, what are three tips from the book that people can integrate into their lives on a daily basis, even though maybe they can't cook sure, all no this problem. food? But Number like one, drink more water. Whatever amount of water you're drinking, triple it. 
that's how much you should wow. be drinking a lot more water. You're, you're the, the apparatus in your miraculous, beautiful body that burns calories is your lean muscle mass. It's the only thing that burns calories. Nothing else burns. Your skin doesn't burn calories. Your bones don't burn calories. Your brain burns some calories, very little, like 50 calories an hour reading. Thinking actually burns calories. Um, but your muscles are the main calorie burning apparatus. So they require a lot of water. They are mostly made up of water and protein, mostly made up of water and a little protein. Uh, you want your muscle, your, your um, hydration levels to be at 60% or above, meaning your body needs to be at least 60% water or more. There are scales that'll measure that and tell you that that cost $19, by the way, if you're oh, curious. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if you, you don't drink enough water, your lean muscle mass will be dehydrated and then become inflamed and stop burning calories. There are people who, no matter what they do, can't burn calories and they can't figure out why. It's because mm. their muscles and their metabolism are dead. They're, they're not working anymore because they're inflamed, they're yeah. dehydrated or they're toxic because they drink too much or, or you know, eat too much processed food. So one easy thing to do is increase your water consumption uh, to the point where you're drinking half your body weight in ounces. So if you weigh 200 pounds, 100 ounces a day. I know that sounds like an insane amount of water, but it's <laughs> barely enough. And if your next thing you're going to say is that it means I'll be going to the bathroom all day long. Yeah, the answer is yes, you will be. And that's a really <laughs> good thing because it's a great way to detox your system. When you mm. go to the bathroom, you're detoxing and flushing out toxins. So the more you go, the better. Um, and then the other thing is increase your fiber intake, not by taking Metamucil and fiber pills, but by eating fruits and vegetables that are high in fiber, which is mm. almost every fruit and vegetable. Got it. Yeah. Or you can buy my shakes online that contain 11 grams of fiber per, <laughs> per serving. Perfect. Shameless plug. Perfect. By the way, that website is pounddaydiet.com. Pounddayday. Apparently diet. people listen to you, so I have to, I feel the obligation to plug myself. Well, we got to share. I mean, it's, it's about helping people better their lives. So For sure. Um, absolutely. And That was two tips. Oh, we yeah. need the third. The third, the third one. The third tip is increase your activity, not your gym time. Mm. There's, a, there's a myth out there that if you go to the gym a lot, you're going to be healthy and lose weight, which is usually not true for people because most people uh, don't keep track of the calories they're burning and um, reward themselves three to one. So they go to the gym, they think they burn 1,000 calories. They go home and reward themselves with 1,000 calories, but really they only burn 250 calories. So measure the amount of calories you burn. Make sure you don't reward yourself three to one. That's a typical, that's an average stat for the average gym goer. Plus it's expensive and a huge waste of money if you're not eating well. You can't out-train a bad diet. Mm. So get rid of the gym and the trainer and start spending your money on food. Ooh, that's a good yeah. tip. Don't buy cheap food. <laughs> food is fuel. It's like people yeah. who will spend a lot of money on clothes because it makes them look good, right? Yeah. But then they'll eat garbage. But you got you to gotta look good from the inside out. You know, Absolutely. nothing looks better than a person who's healthy, whose eyes sparkle, skin is shiny and, you know, supple and they have muscle and, you know, a skinny waist and broad shoulders. Right. That's yeah, that's really sexy. Absolutely. You know? Better to look good with your clothes off than clothes on. <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, take care of yourself. That's find the value in yourself. It's it's huge. I love that. I love and everybody that. has a purpose, you know, whether you found it yet or not. Um there's something for you out there and there's something that you should be doing and, and perhaps the, the, the level of self-discovery you've invested in isn't enough, but um, 
I find I talk to a lot of people who feel like they're not doing what makes them happy or they wish they were doing something else. And we no longer live in a time where you're going to have a job for life, right? Everyone is basically an entrepreneur. If you're not happy with what you're doing, please do something else. Find what makes you happy. You yeah. will you will find purpose and value yourself more. And the minute you're happier with what you do every day, you're going to treat yourself better. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, It's interesting. A lot of the people come on my program and lose weight and get to go away and are transformed from, you know, five foot five, 250 pounds to five foot five, 110 pounds. Wow. Typically experience a major life change afterwards. They wow. either get promoted or divorced or married or engaged. There's something massive happens to them because this has been holding them back. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of people are, don't want to have sex because they're worried about how they look without their clothes on. A lot of people don't want to go on dates because they're, they feel um, insecure about their looks. Um, a lot of people don't socialize for the same reason. You know, it's a really big, uh, bigger issue than vanity. Uh, when I talk about health, a lot of people mistake it for looking better and vanity, but it's really not, uh, that's the hook, right? Looking mm-hmm. better. Everyone wants to lose weight so they can fit into size 32 pants or whatever, or size two dress. But what happens inside is the true value. Mm-hmm. And one that usually happens to my clients three months down the road. So they've lost a bunch of weight. Uh, my clients typically lose 10 to 20 pounds the first week. Wow. So they're hooked. And by month three, they're typically at their goal weight and they're starting to get the compliments and their friends are asking who their plastic surgeon is. And <laughs> meanwhile, it's they don't have one. They're just losing weight and looking better. Um, and then they feel better. And yeah. their doctor tells them that their bloods have changed and you, they don't no longer need their blood pressure medication and they have a lot more energy and they're having better sex and better conversation and they're doing better at work and everything's changing for the better. That's yeah. the real beauty of making healthy the mm, new normal. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I love that you're, you're doing that for people. That's so cool. Um, so Rocco, what's, what's your vision? What's on the horizon you got the book that just came out, so you're doing all this stuff, but what's the big picture for you? So right now it's big pimping, pimping this book, pimping this book. <laughs> so when an author puts a book out, we're, you know, we're required to promote it, of course. Um, for me, that is really fun. I, I go to a lot of book signings and meet people who read my work, and that's the best part of what I do. I mean, I, I was just at an event uh, at Mohegan Sun for 1,200 people Saturday, and uh, I, I must have met a thousand people there and, uh, I fed them healthy food in a casino, which is like, you know, wow. completely an anomaly. <laughs> um, and it was really great to hear that the stuff is getting through. People are listening. People yeah. are interested. When I started this 10 years ago, I talk about healthy and everyone's eyes would roll back in their head because it was a very boring topic, but lots changed in 10 years. Mm. You know, healthcare has become way too expensive. We can't afford to be sick anymore. And so more people are, are listening and engaging in the conversation about health. So, um, for, for the moment, I'm going to be out promoting this book. Um, I'm already working on my next one and, uh, and I continue to write, yeah, I continue to write my, uh, I continue to run my pound a day diet service where I personally cook and coach for people on a daily basis. Oh, awesome. Um, I just launched my uh, protein powder, which is a very okay. unusual mix of protein and fiber and flavors that are all natural and organic. It's the only mm-hmm. only protein powder out there like it. No kidding. Uh, yeah. It's called Rocco's Protein Powder. It's pretty inexpensive. Um, if you want to do, a lot of people ask me about the diet and, you know, 
how can I do it in a way that's more affordable? Because my diet's not inexpensive. Um, you know, the shakes are a great way to start. Having yeah. a couple of shakes a day will fill you up, get you the nutrition you need because the, the shakes contain 30 grams of protein, um, lots of fiber, and uh, lots of nutrients. So yeah. shakes are a great way to start. Awesome. I'm about to try some. And then um, I don't know what's going to happen next. I really, I really hope to be able to, at some point, provide healthy and delicious food that's uh, available and affordable to just about everyone. Um, that's got to happen soon. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, one last question I'd love to ask all my guests here is, what does live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration? Is this a phrase you've coined? Uh, yeah, it's just something because that I've I've been I've kind of coined over the last I year like and it. a half. I live inspiration. It's very cool. Um, I think when you live an inspirational life or aspirationally, you are first of all doing what you love, right? You're mm-hmm. everything. What you the 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 thing you wake up to do every day is something that makes you happy and therefore other people's happy, uh, other people around you happy. Um, you know, when you're miserable at work, so is everyone else, by the way, right? Yeah. Uh, and there's so many ways you can, you know, take the reins, control your destiny. It's not like the the world of, you know, yesteryear where you had to have a job and go to an office and, and be a corporate slave. We all can be entrepreneurs and do exactly what we want thanks to technology mm-hmm. and podcasts and all, you know, the, the opportunities technology affords us. Uh, have you ever been to Fiverr? Have you ever seen Fiverr? I've, I've heard of it. I haven't yeah. used it yet. It's, it's a great example of how you can just do what you like to do in this world. It's an <laughs> app where you offer a service for $5. And there's about 10,000 kinds of services. And it's just people who say, hey, I'm going to make a living doing what I love to do. And I'll do it for 5 bucks, And <laughs> and that's it. So, uh, so I think it's about, first of all, keeping yourself, finding what inspires you, keeping yourself inspired. And through that process, inspiring those around you by example. Love that. Love it. Well, Rocco, I acknowledge you for the difference that you're making in this world and by doing what you love and and helping so many people. It's really, really amazing. Thank you very much. I hope that to be a true statement by the end of my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to give a couple books away. We'll have, we'll have you sign them here. I got four here. Do you take callers? Uh, do you ever, have, you ever do that? I should do that, should but do it's, that. Yeah. it's not live. That's the thing. It's yeah. like we record it and then we put it out. You could tweet it and have people call in. Okay. We could like periscope it or something like that yeah, too. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. Yeah. Um, so lastly, how can people find you, follow you on, on the sure, interwebs? So on, and- on social, I'm, you know, I'm, I spread like a virus on social. I'm everywhere. I'm, I'm on Instagram <laughs> and, you know, it's just my name, uh, Rocco Despirito on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, we're very responsive. We uh, try to respond to people's questions. And when I say we, it's because, uh, I don't know if you guys realize it, but people have social media teams that help them engage with their fans. Absolutely. Everybody's like, oh! <gasps> uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a whole department, you know? And it's important to have a team because you can't do it on your own. And I really want my to be engaged with my fans. And I want them to know I care about what they say and that I'm reading and paying attention to what they put on Twitter and what they're asking me on Facebook. And uh, so we invest in a team to make sure that we, we can talk to those people. Absolutely. And that's the best way to talk to me. And the other best way to, to have an impact on me or uh, just the energy of the world is to do anything that I ask of you in my books or on this podcast and improve your life and 
the whole the, the universe will feel it. Absolutely. And the uh, it was the Pound a Day website? Pounddaday.com Pound or rockodespirito.com is where you can go to find uh, all of my products that I sell and uh, be on my diet program if you want. Awesome. Awesome. We'll pick up the new book, Negative Calorie Negative Diet. Negative Calorie Diet. Yeah, yeah. Um, make some recipes, cook some food, be healthy. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Live the life, right? <laughs> Live the life. Live the life. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Nick. This was great. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with Rocco Despirito. I am your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you could share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Leave us a good review over on iTunes because we want to spread the word and get this out to even more people and help their lives become better and better. Don't forget to enter the contest that we talked about to win a signed copy of Rocco's book. And with that, Go out and create the life that you dream of. Mm-hmm.